Hi, I'm Matt Isles, President and CEO of AHIP, and welcome to a special episode of The Next Big Thing in Health. The Supreme Court's recent decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, which overturned the constitutional right to abortion access, has raised questions about women's access to healthcare in several other areas. One big area of focus and attention today is the access to contraceptives. I even had the opportunity last week to participate in a special roundtable with Secretary Becerra, Secretary Walsh, uh, and officials from Treasury and CMS uh, on this issue. And to help understand the current landscape of health insurance coverage for contraception, I'm joined today by Kate Berry, AHIP's Senior Vice President, Clinical Affairs and Strategic Partnerships. Thanks for joining me today, Kate. Matt, thanks so much for uh, having me and to discuss this really, really important issue and so timely. It, it really is. And it's probably helpful to set the stage a little bit for our listeners. Um, and I'll start with uh, uh, you know, one question here about just what are health insurance providers covering in terms of contraception? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So for the, you know, the first thing I would say is that health insurance providers are fully committed to women's health care. And that, of course, includes contraception access. And everyone really deserves affordable access to contraceptive coverage to ensure that they can get the care uh, that they need. And that's why for years, health insurance providers have supported protections of the Affordable Care Act for contraceptive coverage access. Our commitment really is the same as it's been for a very long time, many years, and we continue to work hard every day to ensure that people have access to many affordable contraception choices. The ACA requirement really is to cover, for health insurers to cover one product in each of the 18 contraceptive categories that are defined by the FDA, and to do that without any cost sharing to the patients and consumers. Um, you know, we've supported and implemented these protections for a decade. And we ensure actually that patients have access to many more options than that. They often have access to hundreds of options with no cost sharing at all to them. And that includes covering many, you know, all the generic options without cost sharing. And we've taken a look at the data and it's pretty impressive to see that the vast majority of contraceptive heard uh, for patients and consumers with no out-of-pocket cost sharing from them at all. And just to put a finer point on that, the vast majority is well over 90% of claims processed uh, with no cost sharing at all. That's a great setup, Kate. And we know that the landscape's changing all the time and we have you know, new innovative you know, therapies and treatments are, are being introduced constantly. And, and contraceptives you know, are an exception here. Uh, but how do health insurance providers evaluate new therapies that, that come to market, especially in the area of contraception? Yeah, I mean, they have a, you know, plans have a well-established process to review new therapies routinely. So I'll get to that in a sec, but I wanted to also mention, you know, a plan may want to encourage patients to, if the options are just as safe and effective as a more costly option versus one that's more affordable, plans are going to try to encourage people to pick the one that's more affordable, assuming it's just the same in safety and effectiveness. 
But if there is really good evidence um, that a patient would do better um, with or would prefer one form of contraception that is not currently included in their formulary, um, the clinician, the patient's doctor can, um, you know, follow a, an exception process. So that particular option can be covered at no cost share. But to get into the, you know, so it's important to know that like the option is available for people to, you know, get whatever they um, think is most appropriate for them, um, you know, through that exceptions process. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But in terms of the routine ways um, that health plans evaluate new treatments, new innovations, um, you know, when uh, new products are become approved, uh, chief medical officers of the health plans and their, you know, other clinicians and experts on their teams evaluate the clinical evidence to figure out how best to cover those new products and to focus on ensuring both safety and effectiveness, as well as the affordability of these new treatments, um, you know, to make that make sure they're safe and effective for patients. And plans do have what's called a pharmacy and therapeutics committee, which is often called the PT committee, but that's sort of the team of experts that evaluate the new, new products, new contraceptive me methods um, when they're introduced. Now it's important also to note that um, you know formularies are set in advance before the plan files their um, you know product for each benefit year. So sometimes it takes a little bit of a time before new um, products, new contraceptive methods get added um, into the formulary. So Kate, you touched on the exceptions process, and I think it's an important area maybe to drill down a little bit on uh, because. Uh, it's gotten a bit of attention, and I think it's important to really understand sort of where people can find more information about it and, and how it really works. Can you maybe share just a little bit more color about it? Absolutely. Um, so really to better understand, um, you know, we've, since we've been getting some questions about the exception processes and appeals processes and so forth. Um, so AHIP, uh, a couple of months ago, surveyed our health plan members to, um, you know, better understand kind of those processes and how the, that information is communicated. And it was a pretty um, big survey. We had great response from our members, 25 plans responded, and that accounts for more than 120 million people um, who are covered by those 25 plans. So a few of the learnings that we found, um, number one, the exception processes are publicly available to both providers, doctors, and other clinicians, as well as to patients and consumers. So all of the plans who responded said their um, exception process information is publicly available and here's how they communicate. So providers um, are most frequently made aware of the exception processes through dedicated public facing web pages, um, also through provider portals and provider manuals, which are, these are the typical ways that health insurers communicate all types of information with the um, uh, providers in their networks. And, um, you know, so that's just the way they often communicate. 
Um, and all the respondents use numerous approaches to inform providers of these processes. So all those things I listed, the um, public facing websites, provider portals and, and provider manuals. Um, and then in terms of the members, the people, the plans serve member consumers and patients, um, they are most frequently made aware of the exceptions processes through, again, dedicated public facing web pages, patient portals, and when communicated by their doctor or other clinician. So that's kind of how, you know, the, how the process is communicated. It's also um, very clear that when an exception is, is um, requested by a provider or a patient for that matter, they are processed very quickly. So all of the respondents to the survey said that the exceptions and requests are processed in less than 72 hours. Um, and uh, they're not really used that frequently, even though they are um, publicly available. So, you know, more than 99% of the commercial enrollees or members in the plans are in plans that use the exception process less than 1% of the um, times that, uh, you know, 1% 1, 1 of the claims, if you will. So very, very infrequent use of that process. And if indeed something um, still isn't approved through the uh, exceptions process, there are always um, appeals available as well. So I think those are really the key um, points on the exception process. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important one. And, and in the roundtable I participated in also, um, you know, one of the um, participants made, I think, a really good point around why it's so important to have electronic prescribing, uh, because we know that that process will be much smoother, especially if there needs to be an exception than, you know, the old paper process. We got to get out of the business of, uh, of working with paper in healthcare, And I know you feel passionately about that, too. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's something that can really help both the payers and the providers have an easier, as, as well as the pharmacists for that matter, it sort of makes the whole process of um, sharing prescription information much, much uh, simpler and faster and avoids most of the phone calls and faxes that can be so burdensome and time consuming. Absolutely. So we know that our podcast is called The Next big thing in health. And we always like to end with a question that sort of weaves that theme in. So what do you think is next when it comes to contraception access? Well, we, we know that this issue is, you know, hotter than ever in some ways, just because of the, you know, the, the Supreme Court decision and the um, focus on uh, making sure women have access to the care that they need. So, you know, we'll continue to communicate about what the plans are doing, both to the public, you know, states, because states are increasingly playing a role here, and with the administration. So we'll continue to, you know, bring attention to the good work of the plans in, in ensuring this access for women's health care. And we'll continue to work both with the provider partners that plans work with, as well as their members and policymakers for that matter, to do our very best to make sure that people have access to the care that they need, including access to the contraception of their choice. That's a great message to end with, Kate. Thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks, Matt. 
Well, thanks for joining us uh, for this mini episode of The Next Big Thing in Health. I uh, hope you found it informative and be prepared for our regular episodes to resume soon. Uh, very much looking forward to another season of The Next Big Thing in Health. Thanks so much, everyone.